everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode dun 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 ninety-nine of the show. Ninety-nine bottles of podcast on the wall. That didn't work. <laughs> ninety-nine so, files of podcast on the wall? Something. Ninety-nine files of audio on the wall? There you go. Um yeah. 100 is next week, kids. Yeah. It's pretty great. Mm-hmm. We're excited. So um, we are next week going to be looking back at the journey we have done by taking a modern spin on this classic era with the miniseries Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. So if you have never read that, this would be a great time to read it because it is literally covering the era we have just been talking about. Mm-hmm. But from a modern perspective. Pretty much right up to where we currently are, give or take a few issues. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool. That's pretty cool. So we're going to do that to celebrate. We're going to, um, you know, chop the uh, coverage up into two or three episodes, depending on how long we go with it. And uh, so those will be out over the next couple or three weeks. And um, we're planning on doing it in two. But if we go super long, I may chop it into three. We'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today, we're just going to keep on doing like we've been doing every week since... Avengers, what was the third one? Infinity War came out. We've been doing this since Avengers Infinity War came out. <laughs> We've been doing this over two years, I think. Or no, almost, almost two, two years. years. Almost two years, yeah. Almost. So Chugging along in starting, July 1965, right? Yep, July 8th, 1965, starting in on that second week of releases with Sergeant Fury 22. Mm-hmm. So you've got this one, right? Oh, no. It's definitely your turn. Wait, what? It's definitely I, my turn. The prob- you know what sucks, though, is because like, this was supposed to be your month for Sergeant Fury, but they snuck in that annual, so I still had to do one. But no, this one's, <laughs> no, this one's yours, though. Okay. Well, I, try, I tried to sneak one over on him, kids. Didn't work. Um, don't Turn Your Back on Bull McGivney, featuring Operation Tidal Wave, their raid on Plusty, one of the most daring military attacks of all time. So this is one of those stories that's actually keying into historical events. The story is The Greatest by Stan Lee. Okay. Art, the First Greatest by Dick Ayers. Uh-huh. Inking The Ornatist by Carl Hubble. And lettering The Straightest by Art Simek. Mm. Aw. Art doesn't have a little bit of gay? Yeah. Come on, Art. Be gay. Not Be very gay, modern Art. of you, Art. Yeah. Not very artsy of you, actually. So hey. Anyway. There you go. Um, all right. So, Bull and Nick. At the very beginning of the story are fighting. Mm-hmm. They are brawling, and Captain Sam Stallier comes over and yells at them and uh, actually needs to talk to both of them because he is sending both of them on a mission. Uh, funny note, as they're walking by, Dick Ayers is painting the images on a plane, and Sergeant Lee yells at him. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Uh, that's just little cameos. We go over and catch up with the Howlers and Bull McGivney's Maulers are all in a um, conference with Sawyer about the Ploesti oil fields deep in Romania. Um, each team is going to have a different job. Uh, the Maulers are going to sabotage the flat gun emplacements on the perimeter. And the, um, I forget exactly what the Howlers are going to go do. They're going to go bomb. Blow something up. I don't remember either. Yeah. So, um, oh, there's a 
flak train of deadly guns mounted on a speedy train, protecting Pulesti, and they're going to shoot down and destroy the train. Okay. So two different missions involved with this. August 1st, 1943, the morning of one of the most famous airstrikes of all time, Ploesti. The howlers are on the ground. They are in Romania. There are Nazi troops. They're trying to get their job done. And they run into the maulers. Mm-hmm. So like they run into each other almost immediately. So they start clashing. Uh, Nick and Bull get captured. Um, they work together surprisingly, to take out the Nazi officers who have captured them. Um, They do their job of sabotaging the train and um, blowing everything up real good. They, there's not a whole lot of detail as far as like with their mission that really matters that much. Mm -hmm. Um, Except that towards the end, Baron Strucker and his blitzers, (laughs) the Blitzkrieg squad show up for no reason. (laughs) Kind of like how, um, who was it? Was it the Red Ghost showed up in that Mole Man story for no reason? Yep. That is literally this. They show up for like three pages. And so you have the scene of all three squads. Howlers, Maulers, and Blitzkrieg squad are all fighting each other. And, um, you know, the guys in green knock out the guys in blue. Nick Fury punches Baron Strucker a good one. He falls unconscious. And they, they make it back. There's a sort of poignant moment because this was a really, really costly attack. Like, we lost a lot of men and a lot of planes mm. in this. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a moment with Nick Fury and Sam Sawyer talking about, you know, Sawyer's like, you have a lot to be proud of. You did a lot for the war. And Fury's like, yeah, but at what cost? And, um, and yeah, there's one final moment of antagonism between Fury and McGivney. And that's the end. I like this one. This was fun. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 I I mean, we've seen McGivney multiple times, so I knew who he was going into this, but I was never under the impression that he was equally awesome, and he and his guys are, so that was kind of a cool surprise for me. I liked that. Like, the McGivney and his, you know, what are they, Ravagers or something? Like, Maulers. Maulers. They're also tough as nails and get the job done. And don't take any gruff and don't, you know, aren't cowards or whatever. I kind of thought he was just like a lame bully guy who, you know, wasn't all that cool. But he actually is competition for Nick Fury. Yeah, we saw in the annual there was a layout of the uh, of the camp and their barracks are just across from each other. Mm-hmm. He and Nick are equal in rank. So getting to see McGivney actually being competent as a yeah. sergeant, as a leader of men in this was cool. Seeing his pride in the Maulers, uh-huh. I thought mirrored Fury and the Howlers very well. I liked that. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like, um, you know, he wasn't like cowardly anymore than Nick when like they got caught by the Nazis. Like he didn't put it, he didn't, give into them any more than Nick did. And they like work together to get out of it. And I don't know. I just thought all that was really fun. I, I, they I had a surprising I, more, amount of unspoken communication. I'm more impressed by him than I initially was. Cause I thought he was just like a reason to have a jerk on the, in a story, you know, and, and that serves its purpose. You know, that's that, yeah. that sort of thing happens, but having more to it's good. But now it's more like painted in the idea of like a friendly rivalry. Like I don't think either of them would let each other die or, no. Or anything like that. Like, certainly, you know, they bust each other's chops, and they probably enjoy that, they though. Probably, 
and they probably genuinely don't like each other, but that's yeah. a big difference between letting the mission fail or letting down your fellow soldiers. Or not having respect for each other, too. Like, I, right. I didn't get the impression that Nick actually doesn't think McGimini can't handle himself, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all that was a big surprise, because I just thought he was like this stupid blowhard guy that shows up once in a while for to talk about how Nick's lame or whatever. But, wow. And maybe, maybe McGivney's antagonism comes from a genuine feeling of, we are just as good as those guys. Mm-hmm. Why are they getting all the awesome treatment? Mm-hmm. I bust my ass just as much. My guys work hard just as much. And Fury and the Howlers are the ones that get all the special stuff. Yeah. And they seem to be just as tough. So it's pretty cool. I'd like to see more team up, but I don't know if that'll happen. Um, the Maulers, you know, when the Blitzkrieg squad was introduced, we got like a panel of description for each of them. Uh-huh. There's really almost nothing to know about them. And every story since then has done nothing to distinguish them except for the one guy who wears the tall hat. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the only guy I know about. The Maulers have even less. Yeah. There are no characters in this squad. Yeah. That was the unfortunate part of this is like, I'm all, although I've complained about not knowing Nick Fury's howlers either. So I don't know. I'm getting better at that. I can actually kind of pick him out of a lineup now. But like, yeah, we get a lot of McGivney, but he also gets captured from his people. And a lot of the fun, the best scenes are just him and Nick. So I don't know that we even mm-hmm. see really any of the Maulers. It's kind of like they're just background characters. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They're just faceless people in green. They're not actually characters. But I did think it was funny. Like you said, like Baron, what's his face just shows up with his people who are also faceless except for the hat guy. And all three of them are fighting. It was just kind of neat. Like, all these like uh, howler offshoots, all three of them that have been established so far, are all in the same fisticuff scene. It was kind of yeah, that was yeah. fun. We know none of their names, but in this particular scene, I was kind of okay mm-hmm. with that. Also, they didn't even show the punch. Nick Fury took down Strucker with one punch, and it's just like, yeah, he just does that. So we're not even going to show it. I mean, we do kind of get them fighting their alternate alternate a little bit like on this page 17 we got dumb dumb punching the big hat guy who's the dumb dumb equivalent you know like right and we right. get like we sort of get some dialogue with that but it's just not enough like i wish they just did more to really drive home these evil howlers but oh well but yeah i like whenever they tie into uh real history mm-hmm. I, it gives me a chance to learn just a little bit more about world war ii like i never me neither ploesty raid before um you know found out it was you know a pretty significant event but yeah, Sergeant Fury 22, pretty solid When we get issue. back to the States, I'm going to write me some stories about the Howlers. How'd you like to draw them, Ayers? Oh, no. That was funny. <laughs> that was a really fun cameo. And Nick Ayers like, draws a self... Dick Ayers draws like a self-portrait uh-huh, of himself. But he made Stan really? look way, ha- way more handsome than Stan is, but he certainly... And I'm pretty sure that... Lee was a desk sergeant. Uh, I don't think he right. actually. I was thinking about I that. I wasn't sure either. It seemed like he was promoted in this story, but that's okay. Cool. All right. Uh, so my turn now. Oh boy, part three of the Fantastic Four doing something. I don't know if this has a storyline title, but it's number forty-three and it's called "Low." There shall be an ending. So this is the end of this three-part frightful four story we've been doing. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Hey, check it out. This is, this the, is end. the end. <laughs> um, daringly written by Stan Lee. Dazzlingly, wow, that's hard to say. Dazzlingly drawn by Jack Kirby. Dramatically inked by Vince Coletta. Docilely lettered by Artie Samek. Trapped by the deadly counterparts, the frightful four. Reed and Sue attempt a desperate escape with the helpless thing while the flaming human 
torch leads the wizard in hot pursuit of his erstwhile partners. No pun intended. Yeah, right. So if we recall, they've like brainwashed thing and he's evil. And now they've brainwashed the torch and he's evil. But the thing has been, has like, or Sue and, and Reed kind of use the wizard's uh, powers against them. And kind of, and through like all those discs, those gravity discs on both the thing and all the other Frightful Four people. So they have the thing in tow because he's just floating now and they're going to take him back. And they're running and running. Um, and they make it to a car and they drive away. And the wizard's like, gee, Torch, you were kind of useless there. Not only were you useless, but your blaze sort of like burned foliage away so they could escape easier. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to like conserve my energy because I'm going to, you know run out of juice i'm totally on your side um we cut to the baxter building where where the thing is putting up quite a fight but he can't really punch as hard as he normally does because he doesn't have his feet on the ground so it's kind of hard to punch when you're floating around in space basically but he still does a good job of knocking reed richards around and sue storm has to kind of like save him with an invisible bubble and then they sort of spin him around and make him dizzy and then they put him in this chamber and they gas him to knock him out and then reed's like okay i know what i have to do i have to go in there and do some micro thing brain surgery the only problem is is if i screw up he's dead and sue storm's like oh well that's not good he's like right so anyway cuts back to johnny and the frightful two trapster and sandman hanging out in one room johnny's like what are what's medusa and uh uh, the wizard doing in the other room. They're like, none of your business. You just wait here. But what they're doing is they're investigating the machine. Turns out, and Sue knew this and told Reed, that while Sue had escaped and everybody else was busy, like, beating on each other, she disabled his id machine. So Johnny's just faking when the wizard, like, brainwashed him last issue. He's just like, oh, you got me. Oh, I'm totally evil now. Uh, but now the wizard has figured this out because he's checking out his machine and he's like, I'm going to kill that kid. And Medusa's like, wait, let's let's do this, you know, female style, subtle. And she goes out there and she's like, hey, Johnny, how's it going? He's like, good. You're evil, right? Yeah, I'm still evil. Okay, we believe you. And then she steals like the trapster's gun with her hair and glues him. And then the Sandman sands him. And then the trapster uses a new dynamite gun thing to knock him out. So now he's out. Back to the Fantastic Two. They're doing the surgery with this awesome, like, Kirby-looking brain thing, helmet thing. Um, and they get attacked right in the middle of it or right towards the end of it because... Oh, no, they don't get attacked. I'm sorry. The, uh, the, I think the thing wakes up and starts smashing it or something like that. Um, and it also mm-hmm. starts giving off this weird radiation that's unbearable and... And uh, Reed Richards has to do this, like, put on a spacesuit shenanigan thing and get into the thing. And the thing, like, puts him on a bed and the thing's unconscious and they're crying because they're not sure if he's dead or not because they can't even check his pulse because his skin's rock. That's actually kind of cool. Cuts to Dr. Doom and his minion. Dr. Doom's upset about what the thing did to his hands. And he's like, well, I have a machine that I'm going to use on them pretty soon, which, spoilers, we already covered on the Fantastic Four annual so anyway, enough about that. Um, the uh, uh, the Frightful Four show up with Johnny in tow. Sandman sands his way in and then punches the, the, the roof so they can all get in. They attack. Uh, they say, don't fight us, though, because we have Johnny on a big giant disc outside, and he's unconscious, and we're going to throw him into space if you try anything. But they attack anyway, um, and before... The wizard can carry out his threat. 
the thing wakes up. Like somehow Reed Richards knows that he's going to wake up in six seconds. So he just stalls for six seconds. And the thing wakes up and he kind of, he's not really awake though. He sort of just thrashes around. But one of the things he manages to do is grab the wizard and crush his chestal section, which is what controls all his discs. So now Johnny's free to flame on. And now the Fantastic Three are back and they fight the Frightful Four while Thing is asleep and they beat them up. Um, Medusa jumps out the window. Johnny goes after her, but just like Batman can't capture Catwoman, Johnny can't bring himself to capture the pretty Medusa, so he lets her get away. He kind of feels bad about it. Reed sort of jives, or, you know, pokes at him about it, which really upsets Johnny, and then Reed's like, calm down, kid. It's okay. I get it. She's hot. Uh, And then Thing wakes up, and they all hug him and kiss him and say, we really missed you. You're the heart of this team. And he's like, I can't wait till you guys get married two episodes ago or last episode. So the end. <laughs> I like the effort to, you know, acknowledge how the continuity oh, yeah. is supposed to work. You know, the annual, the annual comes out when the annual is going to come out. But the story says, hey, this is how the events fit together. I assume like projects like the Marvel Reading Order put this before the annual. But we just didn't because it was released after. So that's how that works. Right. So that, that's how there were people mm-hmm. who were reading it at the time. They would have read, experienced it. you know, these, these chronological people, they would have read all three of these issues probably in a row because it's all one after the other. Yeah. Right. Right. But it's kind of neat. Cause like, I mean, the issue before this made no direct reference mm-hmm. to the wedding. Whereas this one's like, okay, you out there in Marvel and know the wedding has already <laughs> happened. So it's going to happen after this story. I called it. I knew Johnny was faking. I just knew it. You did know it. Yay. You were right. Um, that was cool, though. Helped his that friend escape. That was very escape. cool. And, you know, mm-hmm. then Sue is, like, really freaking out on, what is it, page five. Um, uh-huh. she, he reads, like, I'll, I'll feed the thing a heavy concentration of sleep gas to put him under. It'll be more merciful that way. And she's like, more merciful? <laughs> In the name of heaven. Well, what are to you be planning? fair, that's very bad wording. In a way, like it, it does sound like yeah. they're now at the vet and this dog has to go down or something. And the first reply he gives is not that helpful. I can't let him <laughs> stay know. like this. An evil, deadly parody of his normal self. <laughs> we we got to kill, kill him. him. <laughs> the thing is gone. He would never want to be like this. I like uh, Medusa, like, because she c- continues to try and lead the team. Or I don't know if she's like overtly trying to lead the team, but she sure thinks she's better than... The wizard. And she probably is, because he's just going to go out there and go toe-to-toe with Johnny, which probably won't work out well for him. So she like, no, no, let's do a little trickery, because he's very powerful and can go supernova if you challenge him to fisticuffs. You know? I liked that. She she tolerates uh-huh. the team, but she does not enjoy it. And she does probably feel like she should be leading. And yeah, I which do Which is like probably why she is not going to be on the Frightful Four forever. Well, she leaves at the end of the So book. who... Uh, At the end of I guess issue, maybe I don't leaves. want to be spoiled, but who the heck is on the Frightful Four after this? Because I can't think of anybody else who's ever been on the Frightful Four. But there must be somebody because they come back. I think it's Thundra uh, first. Does Sandman stay? Because I don't feel like he's a Frightful Four guy either much. I feel like he does stay, but I'm also not, not sure when the next Frightful Four story is mm. after this. I can remember a Sandman story, like issues 65 mm-hmm. or something. Where he's like big and wearing his his new terrible green mm-hmm. outfit, but I can't remember the rest of the Frightful Four mm. in that one or not. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So they take down the torch, and that's sad. Um, but then it's like, okay, on page mm-hmm. eight, 
<laughs> the wizard's like, good work, Trapster. The shock of impact caused his flame to fizzle out. I don't need an interpreter, pal. It's just like, here is the expositional dialogue. Here is the acknowledgement that that was expositional oh, yeah. dialogue. Let's just lampshade that and keep on but going. He seems to do that a lot. That's like his, <laughs> his thing. You don't need to tell me. Well, then why did you? Because we need to. Because right. actually, I don't really understand this dynamite gun anyway. So I guess it was kind of good that they said that because it looks like he just straight up blows him up. It is helpful to the reader. It is completely unnecessary in the actual situation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Um, then all the, the, the one bit um, here that like nine and 10 might be a little fillery for me because it was just kind of like, why is he wearing a spacesuit and all that stuff? But it's also drama, I guess. Right. Like Sue's right next to him not wearing Trying a spacesuit. But that's okay. Yeah, yeah, she is. It's kind of like, you know, and you know, you have your x-rays done and the guy, the doctor puts on this big, you know, lead thing. You're just like, shouldn't I have <laughs> like, well, I have my force field, I but guess, no. if that works. I guess the force field's enough. Dude, I've been watching, this remi- radiation reminds me, I've been watching the Chernobyl miniseries from uh-huh. last year. Uh, that is some rough watching, but yeah, radiation, it's bad stuff. Dr. Doom's hands look okay to me. I don't know. He's like... Where are Dr. Doom's hands? Page 11. He's just like oh, yeah. really upset that the thing crushed his hands in that fight, which was cool, but they look fine. So stop whining, I guess. He says you should be able to use them normally in a few days. Their healing is what's going to be expected. Why aren't they in casts? Right. Or in his freaking gauntlets or if something. He broke the, right. If he broke the bones, why aren't they, why aren't they set and secured? I do Ugh. like this little, even though, again, it's out of order, that's okay. But I do like this little bit because it kind of buffs up his reasonings for attacking them at the wedding, which I did wonder about. I did right. kind of wonder about when I read the wedding issue, like, okay, randomly he's going to attack them because they're in the news, you know? Like, But this is a good reason because he's mad that the thing broke his hands. That's cool. Right. Taking like a post hoc story and using it to set up the events that it uh-huh. precedes is, is a pretty cool t- uh, storytelling gimmick. Um, it just occurred to me that page uh, that all of this stuff with the frightful four with mm-hmm. the Sandman is Jack Kirby going to town on a Ditko created wow. villain and doing a good job. Yeah, they do it differently, but I like both. I of liked them. this breaking and entering scene. That was really cool. How he like slips into the cracks and then uses his big giant mallet hands to yeah. bust it open for everybody else. That was neat. Yeah, that was good, good stuff. Do you think they're like around the office and everybody's just like, man, Sandman, that was a good one, Ditko. You did a great job on Sandman. I want to play with Sandman. (laughs) Yeah, right? He looks fun. Um, We get like Ben's arm doing all of the drama on page 16. That was kind of weird, wasn't it? Yeah, I was like... I wanted him to just wake up and kick some butt, but he like kicks a little butt and then goes back to sleep off camera. It's kind of weird. (laughs) But it was a cool arm. That made it me happy. Cool arm. It, it, it was some good, you know, action-y, drama-y stuff mm-hmm. with that arm. But then there's just like this caption, um, like, but then he falls back asleep and they start fighting without him. It's kind of weird, but that's okay. The stuff with Johnny letting Medusa mm-hmm. go was such a weird mm-hmm. note. And I kind of feel like it's like out of nowhere. Just like, oh, why did I let her go? Is it because she's a girl? What's, what's, wait a second. Were they flirting last issue? I don't believe so. I think they got just in a fight, didn't they? Maybe. Johnny and Maybe. Medusa? Well, first, it could be any number of reasons. Because he is a young kid, so maybe mm-hmm. he's legit just thinking she's hot and can't hurt her. He's never had that problem before that I can think of. But 
you know, whatever. Maybe, though, somewhere deep down he knows that she's not all as bad as these other three. Because we know that in hindsight. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And maybe he thinks that because she, like, helped trap him, but she didn't try and kill him or anything. I don't know. It was a little weird. I don't either. It would have been easier just to have it write it that, like, um, she escaped. Oh, well. But okay. And she does escape. Just to uh, solidify the uh, the continuity point, the rest of the Frightful Four get mm-hmm. captured here. Medusa escapes, which is going to play directly into next issue. And then I loved it, all the hugging and stuff and the thing being all cuddly, and I always like that. So cool end. Cool yeah, end. Yeah. This was a continued story that went from one to the next ever since issue 38. Wow. That's six months of 20-page continued stories. Wow. And it was good stories, too. So, Well, I was going to ask you, so what do you think is the difference between this continued story versus what they're doing in Hulk or Doctor Strange? What made this more enjoyable? Well, Hulk, at least initially, to me, is like kind of like what they've done in also Tales of Suspense a little bit and stuff, like where it's like a serial. They ramp it up to be continued. You go into the next one they wrap it up real fast in one page and you're talking about something else by page two, which kind of bugs me. It's not like a story arc. It's just like some way of like putting us on the edge of our seat and then wrapping it up too quickly. And then, you know, like I'm expecting the same fight to happen next issue and it's not. Now we're talking about somebody else altogether, you know? So that was happening with the Hulk. It felt like the stories were ending and starting in the middle of the story. And Dr. Strange mm-hmm. has just been re- kind of repetitive and going on too long, I think. So those feel like chapters of a Republic serial, which is a thing we've talked about before, whereas this feels like chapters of a story. Yeah, I think this has definitive beginning, middle, ends, even though it also continues. And also, it doesn't hurt that the Frightful Four keep beating up the Fantastic Four. I don't know why. That's just awesome, but it kind of is. Right. Do you think that if this story, instead of being six 20-pagers, if it were chopped up into 12 10-pagers and spread over a Mm -hmm. year... Do you think it would have been as fun? I bet it wouldn't. I bet the pacing would be weird. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just too short. Yeah. I don't know. There's only so much you can do in 10 mm-hmm. pages, right? But with 20 pages, you can tell like a full chapter of, of, of drama, yeah. set up something you know, poignant at the end, and then do a whole bunch of stuff next and to you, And we're getting like, you know, like say the leader, he just keeps doing the same thing over and over again, and we don't really know why. But Frightful 4, like we're getting character beats from them just as good as we get from the Fantastic Four, you know? And we're getting like mm-hmm, their motivation mm-hmm. and what their plan is and seeing them carry out the plan and actually succeed in the plan. And it's just kind of more fun. Whereas like every issue of Doctor Strange is the same. Oh, Mordor's chasing me again. Okay, he's chasing me again. Okay, he's chasing me again. I'm in another dimension. Okay, he's chasing me again. It's like enough already. Let's let's like wrap this up. We are very soon going to get to the Captain America modern day storyline. Mm-hmm. And that's also going to have a lot of cliffhangers. But my memory of reading that is that it does feel much more like a comic book series, not a cliffhanger well, serial. But it started know? out, even though it's the same thing. Ten pages started backups. out. That was my criticism, though. Remember, like he's brainwashed and he's going to kill the general, and you think the next issue is going to be about mm-hmm. him not killing the general, but that's wrapped up in three seconds. Next thing you know, he's fighting a guy with a gun in a whole different part of the world or something. So it's like right. weird. But the first two parts that I feel like work well because, like, the first part was Origin mm-hmm. of Red Skull. And by the way, I brainwashed you. <laughs> Second part's like, ooh, Captain America's brainwashed. Now what's yeah. going to happen? And he goes off to kill the Jedi. So those yes, were like two successful absolutely. chapters. I wish the third one would have just kept it going just kind of, and wrapped up or something. Right, But right. they just serialized it. But that's okay. 
I bet they stop doing that soon. So Fantastic Four continuity, this six-part story has wrapped. They go off and get married in the action fest that was the annual. And the next issue, we launch into another continued arc. I thought that starting with 38, everything was continued for a long time. I forgot that they take a break for the annual. But starting with 44, we're going. We're going until past 50. Wow. But that that just becomes like, if you think about it, that's kind of the norm for comics at some point, right? Like. Yeah, like growing yeah. up, all the '80s was, comics continued every issue and had plot points that were continuing and continuing, you know, subplot points and all that stuff. So they're just figuring out that that's actually mm-hmm. interesting to readers. I think. Yeah, I think so too. All righty, um, I guess it's time to get strange. Yep. Comics are strange. Cap- when you're strange, Captain tales. America gets a full cover for the first time. I think on Tales of Suspense. Oh, wait. We're doing oh. Tales of Suspense or Whoops. Shows? Did I skip ahead? I'm so bad. You're right. You go right ahead. We were talking about Tales of Suspense so much, I was looking at the <laughs> wrong thing. Okay, Nick Fury gets a full cover for uh, okay. Strange Tales for the first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of. Captain America is not No, on he's not. <laughs> but who is on the cover? We've got Dum Dum Dugan and yeah. Gabe Jones shooting guns with Nick Fury. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., the prize mm-hmm. is Earth. And this is one of my notes for later. I'm just going to toss out here because mm-hmm. since they're on the cover. When we saw them with S.H.I.E.L.D. in the Fantastic Four annual, it's like, oh, look, they're mm-hmm. with S.H.I.E.L.D. And I thought that maybe we would see a story where Nick Fury goes and gets his old Howler friends and has mm-hmm. them join S.H.I.E.L.D. But here, they're just, they're yeah. just there. In fact, I think in the wedding issue, and we so weren't the- even sure if that was supposed to be Gabe, right? Uh, yeah, I think. No, I think we called him Mr. Jones in the scene uh, okay. at the very end of the story, uh, whenever he was keeping Stanley and Jack Kirby mm-hmm. out of the wedding, which we, for, for some reason, didn't actually yeah. talk about. Stanley and Jack Kirby tried to go to the wedding. They, they yes. were not allowed in. Um, okay, so let's see what's happening in this one. The prize is Earth. Story, Stanley. Layouts, J. Kirby. Art, J. Severin. Lettering, Art Simic. In S.H.I.E.L.D.'s vast communication center, the multiple image of Colonel Nick Fury barks a startling command, and the greatest adventure of all begins. They are uh, Hydra is preparing to launch an all-out attack on the nations of the world, and S.H.I.E.L.D. is gearing up to combat Hydra. So stuff's finally going down. Um, We start out with Nick Fury doing some tests in the little Hydra flying saucer they captured last issue during the raid on the warehouse. Um, then he goes down to the weapons division and meets <laughs> Q. I mean, um, M. Oh, no, that doesn't work either. M. Yeah. Whoever this guy is who gives him uh-huh. his gadgets. Uh, he gives him a hat with a periscope mirror set up in the front brim so that he can see behind him. There's like a, a tube with a series of mirrors that goes through the fabric of the hat and he can see behind it. It's kind of cool. Um, he has a tie that can uh, burn if he pulls on a thread. He has a shirt that is, um, it's, it's actually a high explosive. It's like explosive shirt. If he exposes it to heat, it will explode. And then he has a suit and pants that are bulletproof. I think it's a little bit risky to have your explosive shirt under your bulletproof hey, jacket. Spy business is risky. What are you going to do? That's just me. Okay. So um, 
we go and check out a small town in the Balkans where somebody is transforming a piece of microfilm to shield without Hydra stopping him, but he gets stopped by, um, let's see, does he get stopped? There's a train pulling out of the station. He tosses the film to the guy on the train, but Hydra does witness him tossing it and shoots the guy down. However, the person on the train does have the film and is trying to get back safely to shield, but Hydra raids the train. They send helicopters. They attack the guy on the train. He has them at gunpoint. They have him at gunpoint and a shield Ferrari. Um, let's see. Nope, nope, they don't save it. They, they totally succeed in killing the guy. Don't they? Uh. Oh, here we go, here we go. Okay, so the, yeah, the cars are driving, the train is driving alongside a road. There are cars. A shield Ferrari pulls up beside mm-hmm. the train. Say, hey, toss me the, mm-hmm. uh, the film. Guy tosses in the film and then holds off the Hydra agents and gives his life in the call of duty. Um, the shield car turns into mm-hmm. a boat goes into the ocean, goes under the ocean, and... Um, they get killed. They have to blow up their own there's, ship. There, trying to figure out if they, they do anything with the up film. Because Hydra was under there in scuba gear. Oh, they run into Hydra. They caught up with us. We, cannot, yep. we can't escape. Press the button. Um, yep. Press the destroy button. So they do that. So um, S.H.I.E.L.D. did not get the microfilm. They lost several of their best agents. Dum Dum Dugan and Gabe Jones are monitoring the event on the radios. They report to Nick Fury. Nick Fury's like, we can't just stand here. We, that won't bring those Joes back. We got to make sure they didn't cash in their chips for nothing. We got to learn what was on that microfilm. And um, what happened is there is a bomb that hydra is developing called the betatron bomb they're going to launch it into space and the film had the plans um hundreds of boffins gave their lives to capture these plans but um sadly mon mothma is not going to deliver them to nick fury sorry return of the jedi reference um all right, so they decide to go up and actually attack the bomb itself. They get on a plane. They can go into space. Nick Fury and Dum Dum Dugan and Gabe Jones are all on the plane. Meanwhile, we switch to a random high-level board meeting of a random powerful corporation. And the dude in charge of the board meeting is very snappy. And he's like, um, I accept your offer to serve as chairman. And now this meeting's adjourned. Uh, I'm in charge, blah, blah, blah. His assistant comes up and talks about something. I want you to prepare a dossier for me. Complete history of every member of this board. Last detail. I know everything about them. And after this meeting, in a room nearby, a mysterious shadowy person, so I guess somebody who was at that meeting, puts on the Supreme Hydra outfit and goes down to Hydra and is greeted. The guy hands him his panther. <laughs> All of Hydra salutes him. He has his bags of money beside him. And then the female agent, the first and so far only female agent of Hydra from a couple of issues ago, comes and greets Supreme Hydra, who is her father. And they talk to each other. She pulls off her mask, even though she's not allowed to do that. She wants him to, you know, give up this quest for power. He's like, no, I'm doing this for you. It'll all be worth everything. We're going to take over the entire world. He's like, what about S.H.I.E.L.D.? He says they're all going to die. And halfway around the world, a button is pushed as the most powerful, destructive force of all time is sent soaring into the sky. He's going to blow up the world with the Betatron bomb. Woo. 
There was a lot in that. Yeah, 12 there pages. is like a, a lot. So Jack Kirby <laughs> outside of the fantastic four, which he's still putting his full Jack Kirby into, I think like his, Oh Thor. yeah. And Thor. Well, well I'm just saying he's say really leaning more towards the layouts now. Like a lot of these books say Jack Kirby on them, but they don't really look very Jack Kirby like to me anymore. Like this one, for instance. Yeah, I would say that. Jo- I think Johnny Severn uh, is doing most great. of the art on this, and frankly, oh, I great. really it's like it. It's great for Spy, yeah. but I've just noticed that the whole layout thing with the tales of suspense and uh, I don't know what else, X Men even don't really look doesn't really look Kirby anymore. So he's either being overworked or being put in a different position of like some sort of like art editor or something or just. Well, he has his three books he's going to stay on for a long time. The Fantastic Four, Thor, and Captain America. So, yeah, he's backing off on X-Men. He's backing off on this. Yeah. And I think we're going to see him just go to those three pretty soon. Well, even the next cap doesn't really look like him, but maybe that's just a one-off. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, the art in this is awesome, I think. I don't know. The intro page was fantastic. So, that reminds me. So With uh, Nick Fury on the So, he's like the leader, right, of S.H.I.E.L.D.? You ever heard of uh, mm-hmm. Harlan Ellison? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Everybody has, right? Sci-fi writer. One of his criticisms of Star Trek that always stuck with me was that it makes no sense that like the guys that are doing the action on the TV show are the guys in charge. Like they should have had other guys that were the focus. Like maybe the captain could be around giving orders or something, but like the guy going down, that that's the guy we should care about and you know, it's like Ever since he said that, it does stick in my mind sometimes when I'm watching Star Trek and all the senior officers are risking their life and leaving everybody else up on the ship. So I wondered, like, why? I wonder, not we don't have an answer, but like, why make Nick Fury the leader of S.H.I.E.L.D. when that kind of just puts him in sort of like the Commissioner Gordon position when he could just be like a 007 agent and have action? You know what I mean? Well, he, he also seems to be doing he both does, in this but case. But should he be? And you're right, that kind of should he be? That sort of thinking, it comes into, you know, later iterations of Star Trek, whenever Riker won't let mm-hmm. Picard go down. The first officer takes yeah. charge of stuff. And then you have shows like Discovery, where the captain isn't even the main focus uh-huh. of the story. You know, he's on the ship being the captain and the, you know, second, you know, lower first tier characters are more of the mm-hmm. focus of the series. It's just because, um, like, they, they clearly yeah, want him to be James Bond. As you can see by, you know, mm-hmm. page three and four, the Q thing, like you said, all that stuff. But they also put him in a position where he has to manage an entire, you know, strategic division. So that's, he can't be James Bond, exactly. So you want to be M and exactly. 007, calling the shots, but also yeah. carrying them out. That's, that's, yeah, that's a weird yeah. anyway, conflict. It just occurred to me, especially after pages three and four, when it's like they just want him to be an agent. But he's also barking orders in the beginning, so... The ship that he's testing at the beginning, I did not remember at all, so I had to double-check the yeah, previous story. Yeah, I agree. I didn't either, but it did say something like they'd captured it, so I just believed them. Yeah, Hydra raided that fake warehouse, and in that raid, some of them were in this ship. Uh, um, gadgets were cool. I liked the way they illustrated them, uh, especially the hat. But And and Stark is providing all uh-huh. this stuff. So oh, Q-Vision yeah, yeah, that's Stark cool. Now bulletproof suit i wonder if stark anthony stark wears a bulletproof suit that'd be pretty handy um Ooh. i just love train action scenes yeah trains are cool like inside the cars on top of the roof lots of cool this stuff is all very trains. bond too um but what's fun mm-hmm. what's weird about this not weird but like 
this actually reminds me of another Bond movie. I can't remember which one it is. One of those Dalton movies where like there's this really great action scene that has nothing to do with James Bond. Like he's not in it, but it's awesome. Like some other agent and the bad guy fight in the kitchen for like an hour and a half or something, but it's not Bond. So here's <laughs> this, all this awesome action. And it's not only not Nick Fury, but then like they actually don't succeed. So it was kind of like we didn't even need it, but I did like it. It was fun. This kind of made me feel like, uh, was it from mm-hmm. Russia with Love? Oh, yeah. Yeah. On the train. Like if that had gone yeah. the other way. Because this guy yeah. dies. And it's a really great but, moment. But don't you want to read 28 issues about this guy now? And I want to read 28 issues of John Severin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I want to know who this guy is and how he got to this point. Because he's awesome. But then he just dies. And okay. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dum Dum Dugan and Gabe Jones. They're once again draw a coloring black man with gray mm-hmm. skin instead of the brown tones they discovered and last year. He has issue. brown hair. It's like, what right. the heck? Do you not notice that that is weird looking? Gray skin with brown hair. He looks like a mutant or something. And also the way the the you know lining is done, it's almost like the it's almost like straight like you know Caucasian brown hair, not African brown hair. I don't know. It's weird. Um. I mentioned it earlier, just having them show up here for no reason feels a little bit too convenient. I wish we had a moment where Fury's like, I'm going to bring my old friends That would have been a cool story. It'd be neat to know what these guys have been doing, because we kind of know what Fury's been doing. He's been in the CIA. Has Dum Dum and Gabe been in the CIA? What are they doing? I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We know nothing about them. Um, Yeah. Okay. So, one, it's cool that the Supreme Hydra looks exactly like all the other Hydra, but he just adds a cape. That's comical. Uh, And a panther. panther. I feel like kind of cheated, though, because I was interested in this first female Hydra girl that earned her spot, earned her spot in that fight, right? I mean, it Mm -hmm. was a one-sided fight, but still. And now it's like, no, she's actually just daddy's daughter, and she doesn't even want him to be evil, so that means she's not evil, so what is she here for? Like, oh, she's just going to be that character, the don't-do-it-daddy character? I don't know. I didn't like that. You're right. I can see that. I've always kind of liked this character in the role that she plays, but I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. And yes, it is a little bit of a trope. We, and uh-huh. We've seen this before. I've been, we've, been, we've been reading this in since fact, World we're War II. we seeing it over in the Tales of Suspense. Yeah. Or Golden right. Age. Like all the time, there was a mad scientist who had a niece or something trying to tell them to not take over the world. Yeah. In Graymore Castle, and, it's yeah, his sister. Right, exactly. So, but it also makes me wonder like, how she even got into this. And also, is he the guy who started Hydra? And if he did start Hydra, it's because her mom died? That's a lot of organization just for after a dead mom, you know? I don't know. Seems like he'd have to be evil already. How did Hydra start? I don't know. With all the retcons, he can't have started Hydra. He must have taken over the Supreme Hydra position. Yeah. But we don't get all that now. It does feel like he's Cobra Commander. And this is just where his Amco multi-level marketing plan has right. gotten him to. Oh, well. Um, so that was the one bummer. We have talked... For me. It is It is a little bit yeah. weird, yeah. It's also the kind of Hydra plot I've been expecting, like attacking the world and like threatening world-level stuff to me is a lot more interesting than I just want to kill Nick Fury. Yeah, that's for sure true. And they're doing a much better job than the leader's done so far, so that's interesting also. Maybe the leader should work with them. They're also green. Um, yeah, yeah. We have talked a lot about Fury's mm-hmm. rank in the last little bit, especially with the annual and everything, they bring it up in page nine. Um, Dugan says, imagine a chicken colonel talking to a two-star general like that, oh. Gabe. 
And Gabe says his rank doesn't mean anything, dum dum. He's the head of Shield, which makes him answerable only to the president. Yeah, Nick. So Nick he's Fury and Captain now. America. They both have ranks that don't matter, or that don't fit what they actually right. say. Their shield makes mm-hmm. a lot more difference. A one priority shield. Nick Fury has a shield. Hey. And yep. Captain America has a shield. What a coincidence. Do you think they named it S.H.I.E.L.D. because Captain America had a S.H.I.E.L.D. and they wanted Cap to be involved in S.H.I.E.L.D.? I don't think that's it. That seems a little bit weird, but I think tying Captain America and Nick Fury Mm -hmm. is also natural. Oh, yeah. Okay, Doctor Strange. There's a whole other story in this. Yeah, let's do Doctor Strange. There's a whole other story in this book. When Meet the Mystic Minds. Written and edited with amazing acumen by Stan Lee. Plotted and drawn with artistic aplomb by Steve Ditko. Lettered and bordered with ruler and pen by Artie Simic. Having tried in vain to learn the secret of eternity, the only thing that can save the Ancient One, Doctor Strange plans a desperate step. He will attempt to learn the secret by prying it from the brain of the Ancient One himself. So he is with the Ancient One in a hidden cave and um, he wants to probe the guy's mind, but the assistant is like, no, you can't do this. It's too dangerous. He's so weak. What if something goes wrong? And Dr. Strange is like, I must do this and I will guard his safety with my very life. And he sits down and he pulls out his eye of Agamotto and um, puts it on his forehead. He uses his amulet to bathe the uh, ancient one with, um, with light the Ancient One puts up some shields and won't let uh, Doctor Strange in. Doctor Strange has to convince him and coax him, but then his eye on his forehead closes. Um, basically, this entire issue is like a set of mental mind games between Doctor Strange and the Ancient One. And there's some cool psychedelic art, but literally nothing else <laughs> happens. Yep. Um until at one point, Doctor Strange is so weary that he collapses to the floor. The assistant comes back and is like, hey, you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. We just had to have something happen. So I'm going to go stand outside and shout at the wind for a while. I will shout at the wind. And he, um, he actually did manage to convince the Ancient One that he was really Doctor Strange and they should actually be friends. We find out that he did get the incantation he needed mm-hmm. in his brain. So it's kind of like before when he took the Eternity Scroll from that one guy and read it to make a portal to Eternity, only that was a faker. This is real. He goes outside. He recites the incantation. The eyeball once again comes off of his amulet and opens wide to become a portal. He walks into his own amulet and is whisked away. And just like that previous one, Baron Mordo shows up a half second too late. He's like, ah, I'll get him next time. little dog too. And next issue, mm-hmm. right? Doctor Strange finds eternity. You're right. It's like nothing happens in this sort of... I mean, something happens that's important, but it takes a long time and is repetitive. It's dramatic. It's fun to look at, but there's a lot of repetition and a lot of words it's that like don't do anything. Ditko, trippy disco art at its finest. but and And not to apply modern storytelling ideas to 1965, but I couldn't help thinking, wouldn't it have been cool if there was an actual, some sort of mental battle, like as in inside his mind, a whole world or something, you know, and they have to talk like mm-hmm. he meant, if I don't even know what, cause I'm not a writer, but like just some sort of more interesting, like back and forth with, with Dr. Strange talking to like, maybe like this weird child looking 
uh, uh, version of this guy or something like that. Oh, like exploring yeah, different aspects of his personality, his life or something, or trying to get bypass his weird locks and 2001: A Space Odyssey weirdness or something. That would have been more interesting than just back and forth. Oh, he's hitting me with this mental thing. I'll concentrate harder. Oh, he's hitting me with this mental thing. I'll concentrate harder. It just got old. I did kind of feel like going down the long tunnel to V'ger <laughs> from Star yeah. Trek: The Motion Picture. I I just had I don't know sort of that mm-hmm. same feeling of like. Okay, we're just trying to mm-hmm. trying to get there. Um, the splash image at the beginning I thought was pretty great. Oh yeah, uh, with their two foreheads like yeah. I mean the art's each awesome. Other. It's all very the creative. Awesome. I, I mean it's very creative the defenses that he came up with and stuff. But it's just like again maybe it's just the magic part. But it's like it seems like all the solutions were the same. Just sort of concentrate harder and you can get past it. And then here's another one and just concentrate. You can get past it. Okay. Yep. I'm looking forward to next issue though. Finally, yeah. in eternity. I think it's actually going to happen, but I can't <laughs> Shoot. promise to swear. Well, now I'm wondering if it's going to happen because you're right. It very well could not happen. I don't know. It seems like it's going to happen. Well, I guess there's not a whole lot I to don't say know about what else to one. say. <laughs> we'll just go on to the next I story. I guess we're going to do four people. Um, so we're now we're on the whole Tale of Suspense number 70 featuring the first full Captain America cover that I was talking about. So whew, we got that in. Um, it's called If This Be Treason. Fight on for a world is watching. Actually, that's what it's called on the cover. But I forget on the first page is actually an Iron Man story. And that's called Fight on for a world is watching. Okay. Iron Man versus Titanium Man. What more need we say? Story scribbled and scrawled by Stan Lee. Illustration doodled and dawdled by Don Heck. Delineation battered and blotted by Mickey DeMeo. Lettering mumbled and jumbled by Sam Rosen. So if you remember... This guy from Russia created a titanium titanium man suit and challenged Iron Man, and they met on neutral territory to fight while the whole world watches to see if communism or capitalism is better. But then he also cheated and had, like, these mines all prepped ahead of time, and, and Iron Man stepped on him, so that's where we kind of left off. Um, but they don't kill him because he's Iron Man, and he can handle explosions, so he's fine. Then Titanium Man also has these ring things that shoot out and wrap around and tighten on Iron Man, so now he's stuck, but he, um, you know, is strong, too, so he breaks free. There was a lady, and it turns out I was wrong. She's not nearly as interesting as I thought she was going to be, but there was some lady, some Contessa something or other, who at some point was burned by Tony Stark, and then he burned her again because he was busy training to be Iron Man, and he couldn't tell her that, so he didn't go on a date with her, and she's like, I'll get you, and I thought she was like, something more evil but she's not she just wants his attention so she breaks into his lab and she finds this little transistor thing and takes it with the idea that now he has to come after her because if he wants it back he has to talk to her so stalker lady basically is all she is cuts back to the fight um titanium man is much bigger he's much stronger iron man is trying his best to be faster and smarter but he keeps getting grappled and also he's been having problems with his heart um and it's kind of wearing down. I mean, he managed to augment it last issue, but that's going away too. That stupid mean senator guy is like all mad because Iron Man looks to be losing. And he's like, I knew Tony Stark would fail. He's a horrible person. Um, apparently, there's a rule that after so much time fighting, they get to take a break. So this is like a boxing match or something. So Iron Man's like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to my ding, ding. the room and get that transistor. Because I think if I plug that in, my heart will feel better. 
Um, but guess what? It's missing. He finds a handkerchief. Her name was Stephanie. He finds a handkerchief, and he's like, oh, that's Stephanie. I think she took it and, you know, wants me to go after her, but I don't have time. So he flies back to the crowd and picks out Happy, and he's like, Happy, you got to go find this Stephanie lady. I think she drove this way. Get her to come back here. So he's like, oh, I actually have something to do. This is awesome. So jumps in the car, cuts her off, takes her back, um, goes out into the battlefield. Oh, no. Goes out into the battlefield, and uh, while they're fighting, he tries to throw the he throws the transistor to Iron Man, but gets caught in a blast and is now dying. Um, Pepper gets freaked out; she faints. I can't remember what happens. Oh, Iron Man puts on the transistor thing, and he's mad because I think maybe Happy is dead or appears to be dead, and so now they're going to um, throw down for a third part. The end. And Happy called him oh. boss. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, Happy figured it out. Where did he figure that out? Um, he th- says he thinks he's starting to get an idea why uh, the boss is always not around, and that's at the top of page 10. Okay. Um, and then he gets the item from Stephanie, and when he throws it um, at the bottom of page 11, he's like, I know at last that it's me who Pepper loves, so give my life here was worth it. And on the top of page 12, he says, forget it, boss. Just give that commie creep one wow. for old Hap. But Iron Man doesn't really... Oh, he called me boss. He knew. Wow, I really just blew right over that somehow. Anyway, yeah. So to be continued, third part. I assume Happy's not really dead because he's not dead, but... Um, yeah, I do know that Happy dies at some point. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember when. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's at some point. Because I think Happy is brought back to life mysteriously much, much later. But he does die in the Silver oh, Age, well, if maybe I'm he is remembering dead. correctly. I, I just don't know what happens. Yeah. Um, this was cool. He's alive in the movies because, well, sure. you know, John Favreau's alive. Yeah, this was uh-huh. fun. I really liked this one. I still think that that woman was supposed to be the Black Widow and yeah. then they just changed it. Maybe by this point they knew she wasn't the Black Widow anymore, but. I don't know why. She just seemed much more nefarious looking out the window last issue, but now it just seems like she's a weird stalker lady. So, oh well. Mm-hmm. I like that the Titania Man is different uh, in his abilities than Iron Man. It kind of is a cool, like. Your armor's big and mine's quicker and blah, blah, blah. But Yeah. And the fact that such a big guy inside driving him uh, is a neat difference. I'm pretty sure the Crimson, Crimson Dynamo is supposed That's to be cooler, but I kind of like the Titanium Man more so far. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. That second page, I was, reading, I was thinking, man, this art looks familiar. Yep. Is this the same art from last issue? And then the caption's like, hey, if this panel looks familiar, it's because it's the same art from last issue. I'm like, oh, okay. <sighs> I wasn't wrong. That's great. You know, we get to page four, and he sends out those rings on Iron Man, mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering, is this where the ringer is going to get his gear, like, ten years from now? It, it did seem awfully familiar. Yeah, I guess that's the ringer, huh? Yeah. It's a cool thing, though. It is a cool thing. The first time I ever heard about the ringer is because he was dead, and his <laughs> old girlfriend, uh-huh. Lila, I think, was getting the deadly foes of Spider-Man together. And pretending to uh, be their like friend, but was actually using them for revenge. Yeah, oh, that's pretty good. Cool. Yeah. Um. So I had some thoughts on Senator Bird. Okay. So he really pushed Iron Man into this fight. Yes, he did. Because we and can't let Iron communists Man's, wins. Right. Can't let communists win. It's a, it's a it's a national pride. Now Iron Man is losing, and he's throwing Tony Stark under the bus. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm wondering if this was like a deliberate strategy to tear Tony Stark down. He, Push for Iron Man to accept the challenge and use it. Because somewhere he says, like, I always knew Tony Stark was a waste of space or something. So right, it's like, this is Tony Stark's personal J. Jonah Jameson, apparently. The eyes of the world are on us and we're losing. I mean, he's missing the Hitler mustache, but otherwise... <laughs> He's got the cigar and the white hair and the suit and the crankiness. So he is Senator J. Jonah Bird Jones. It is weird. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you need an antagonist and that's cool and all. I wish there was a little more motivation behind it because it's like, how can you possibly think that Tony Stark isn't amazing? He created a gun that can make cities evaporate, you know, like he's pretty awesome. So what is he doing that drives this guy crazy? I don't we haven't really seen it other than. You know, every time there's an alien or something, they revoke his his government contracts. But there's a lot of stuff that happens that is out of Tony's control. Right. And they come down on him for it. And he fixes People it. People are attacking his plants and sabotaging stuff. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, if you can't get your act together, we're going to withdraw your funding. Well, he's not <clears throat> trying to be a loser. He's just getting attacked a lot. And he fixes it. So it's like, yeah, it's like it I'm sorry I'm being attacked by communists that we all agree suck. So why is it my fault that I'm being attacked by communists? You know I'm being attacked by communists because I'm one of the biggest, you know, proponents to your army. So stop it. You're being weird. I don't know. Yeah. I just I want to know what story it was where like Tony Stark's sister tried to murder him or something cuz why is he so mad at Tony Stark? There must be another reason. So I did look up Happy Hogan's appearances. He has a lot more. Okay. So he is not going to die in this. Okay. I don't remember exactly how this plays out. Maybe he's just in the hospital for a while and Pepper falls in love with him. I don't know. <laughs> Happy's bar is so low. Like, he goes out to give that transistor in the middle of a battlefield, and and Pepper's like, no, don't go out there. And he's like, oh, she actually cares about me. That's so great. It's like, dude, I'm pretty sure she would say that to anybody who was going to run out there, you know? Yeah. Like... Not to say that she doesn't care about you, but Jesus, Happy, like, you're just so, <laughs> you're so desperate for any sort of emotion, I guess, to be thrown your way. I don't know. So this whole him finding out thing, uh-huh. my only quibble with it uh-huh. is the moment on page 10 where he thinks he's figured out why Tony Stark uh-huh. has been disappearing. I wish that had been, like, last issue. Yeah. You could pay it off in this issue with him knowing. Yeah. Like, let that play out just a little bit longer. Um, but I actually am kind of glad that he's figured it out. He's the one of all people who should know. Right. Yeah, it does kind of come out of nowhere, I guess. But, mm-hmm. but actually, that's but, actually um, going to put a kink in things, maybe, because well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The, will I, that, how will, how's that going to wreck their their love thing? Is it? Is it going to make a difference? Not really. I honestly don't remember. I don't remember how this plays. Well, I mean, how could it? Because it's not like Pepper loves Iron Man. She loves Tony Stark. So, yeah, I guess it wouldn't make a difference. Yeah, her thing with Iron Man is not a Lois Clark Superman thing. Right. She does not love Iron Man at all. If she was super into Iron kind of- Man and he knew that that was Tony Stark, that would make this interesting. But right. maybe he could blackmail Tony Stark to get him to back off of Pepper, though, if, he's, if he were that kind of guy. But I don't think he is. We'll see. Shall we um, Shall we move on Captain to Captain America! If This Be Treason, story by Stan Lee, layouts by Jack Kirby, lettering by Sam Rosen, and reintroducing the matchless artistry of one of the giants of the golden, great golden age of comics, art by George Tuska. I forgot that it was George Tuska on this. Yeah. But he doesn't stay long, because Jack Kirby, I mean, this is his yeah, baby. Yeah, okay. Last issue. We told you how Cap 
took control of a Nazi plane, but we didn't show the actual takeover scenes. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was a synopsis. It's not. Okay, so basically, yeah, they show him retaking over the plane that we already saw last issue with a few bigger panels. Um, he beats the guys up. But what happened uh, last issue is Steve Rogers was, like, doing something with some people, and then he found out Bucky was captured, and so he's off to rescue Bucky, but little does he know that also those people that he was doing something with are going to be attacked by German air raid. So he really kind of left them in the lurch, but he doesn't know that yet. He's speeding towards Greymore Castle with his commandeered German bomber. Um, meanwhile, the bad guys are, like, rubbing their hands because they've got Bucky all clamped down on one of those easel table things. Um, the German general guy or colonel guy or lieutenant guy or whatever, he, he's a major. He does not like scientist guy. He thinks he's a traitor because he is. He's a traitor to America, but still all traitors are traitors. So he's kind of like mean to him and stuff, but he has to kind of cooperate because the Red Skull wants him to cooperate. Meanwhile, sister is still doing the sister thing and saying – you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be a traitor. And he's like, look what you did to my hand. And she's like, I know. I feel guilty. I'll help you. Um, Captain America gets closer. They try and shoot him out of the sky. But he pilots like a super soldier. And he makes it to the ground. And he decides the best strategy is just to go through the front door because they won't be expecting that. So he barrels through the front door. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there's Bucky right there going. And he's like, what? It's a trap. And the girl, the sister, runs out and also says, it's a trap. They're going to kill you. Because it was. They were hiding around the corner with a machine gun. But, you know, she lets him know. So he raises his shield and kating kating. They get into a fight. Um, there's like this weird green army men robot things that he has to beat up. But ultimately, they get him with gas because all heroes get taken down with gas. Um, meanwhile, his division is being attacked, and they're wondering where Steve Rogers is because he was there as Steve Rogers, not Captain America. So they're like, did he go AWOL? So, uh-oh, that might not be great for him later. Back to Cap and Bucky and now the sister being tied up. The scientist is like, no, you can't kill my sister. I'm not, you know, I'm doing this for you guys and that's my sister she's like no she's a traitor she warned him and she's against us and so then the now major has no interest in the scientist because he has captain america and bucky captured so he starts beating on him and turns out they're gonna use like the scientist guy let them use his castle as like a missile silo so they're going to uh i don't know if they're gonna attach him to the missile or just fire the rocket or oh they're gonna fire a rocket at london and blow it up and now scientist guy's freaking out cap is unconscious bucky's tied up um to be continued and yeah and for some reason yeah, one more chapter for some this. reason they forgot about that whole shrinking thing they were talking about last issue Oh, yeah. The whole reason that they're doing this is because yeah, of the shrinking. Right. Thing. Not because of this missile. He didn't invent this missile. So why do they ever need him at all? That's weird. That is weird. Hmm. I think somebody dropped a plot point. I think so, too. <laughs> anyway, it's still fun. Um. Yeah, the whole thing with him, like, giving his trust to the Nazis and having the Nazis, you know, be his leaders because they're going to be good to him. Yeah, spoilers. No, they're not. Mm -mm. They never are, are they? They're always bad guys. Nazis are bad. That's how we call them nasties. <laughs> Captain America can fly a plane. I don't know if we've ever established that before, but he can. Well, apparently. Yeah. He is a pilot. He is a pilot. Um, which we do see in the in, in, in the movie. He pilots that plane. He well, not very well, but he does, yeah. 
Well, I mean, he does crash into the ocean, but I don't that, think that's his fault. That was on purpose, I think, yeah. Yeah. If you deliberately crash into the ocean, is it still crashing, or is it just aiming? Right? It was success. <laughs> he saved the universe right. or whatever. Um, George Tuska. Once again, I didn't do any homework and forgot to kind of look up how he's a golden age great, and people are probably screaming at their podcast thing right now going, you should know that. And I should. You're right, but I just can't remember. How is it? Well, he is a name that I've heard a lot, and his career does go all the way back to 1939 and all the way up into the 1980s. Um, he's going to become increasingly frequent on these Marvel books, although his first like run on a title isn't until we get to Iron Man's own book. He takes that over right after it launches and is the main artist on it for a while. I'm doing a real quick look. It looks like he's another one of those guys that did a lot of Westerns and spy and space not so much the superhero thing back in the golden age. Right. So I guess he's, his time to shine is now, or at least are now 1965. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he, I think he does pretty well here. Uh, mm-hmm. I've forgotten, like I said earlier that he draws this. There's a, there are a couple places where it's a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. I don't think he necessarily draws the sister character. Mm-hmm. Her face and head look weird every time that he draws them. Well, I certainly miss Kirby's more dominant influence because Kirby on tales of suspense is awesome. But, but I can definitely see his layouts. Yeah, there. yeah, for sure. The the panels are shaped like Kirby panels. <laughs> and poor Bucky, like as much as I was so excited about how much he did in that first story arc, um, he's doing nothing right now. <laughs> he's just yeah. he's just a hostage essentially. <laughs> this is like this is like a first Doctor story where <laughs> he spends an entire episode <laughs> taking a nap almost every story. Right. He's definitely the boy um, hostage, Bucky the boy hostage. So on page 10, mm-hmm. he says uh, she's going to be in the rocket, which blows up London when it lands oh. at 10 Downing Street, where Churchill lives. Okay, yeah. I know what 10 Downing Street is because Doctor Who taught me in the Aliens of London episode <laughs> where Rose is like, we're going to 10 Downing Street. Yep. I'm like, oh, it's like 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but British. It is very interesting to watch that show and for them to take um, – just assume things that we're supposed to know and, and as Americans, we're dumb and we don't know. Like, I didn't know anything about, like, like they'll make a joke about Cardiff or something. It's like, I guess that's a bad part of town or something. What is that? I don't know right. what that means. But they know <laughs> what that means and they laugh, you know. It's kind of fun just to see, like, a different culture, sort of. Not that different, like, but a little we're different. We're not in London. I don't care. We're in Cardiff. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's like, well, what, is that bad? I don't know what that means. Sorry, Welsh people. We love you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're in the missile. I forgot what, what the – I knew there was something. They don't really show it, but, yeah, I guess they're going in the missile. So there you go. They're all going to die. Yeah, they're, they're all going to die inside the missile whenever it hits um, London and blows up Churchill. Uh-huh. And war over. I'm sure this happens. This is definitely how World War II ended. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the history books. Mm-hmm. Fun with flashbacks or, you know, past stories that you know the outcome. But we don't know how they get out of the missile, so that's where the drama lies. Yes. See, that's what, that's what it always is. You know the hero's probably going to win. Uh-huh. The drama is in how are they going to do mm-hmm. it? How are they going to pull this one off? And you never know. The girl could die because we don't know her future. Yes. We don't know her future. The scientist guy could he die. He is probably going to die. I'd put money on that. The scientist guy could realize that Nazis actually aren't that <laughs> great and then like try to save his sister. I think it's dawning on him now that they put his sister in a missile and are punching him. But – Right. Wait, y'all are supposed to be the good guys. Why are you putting my sister in a missile? I think next, it, what we next do. issue Nazis. he's going to be like, but you forgot one thing. 
I have a robot hand. And then it's going to turn into a machine gun and kill everybody or something. That'll be fun. Ooh, Cable. Yeah. Not Cable. More Super Patriot than Cable. Iron Giant. Something like that. You forgot one thing. <laughs> I am not left-handed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I, I think, think that's good. That does. Yeah. yeah. That's an episode. So, we, I, I mean, normally I do the homework here, but we've already said multiple times that our big 100th episode, we're going to be covering the 2004 series. I think Indicia Wise is 2005 series. Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. We'll at least probably do three or four of those. Like It's going to be broken yeah. up into multiple parts for episode 100. But just read the whole series, and then you'll be good for a couple episodes. We're aiming for four and four, but if our conversation goes super long, then we'll break it up into three yeah. chunks. But, you know, you'll be prepared because you've all read all eight of them because that's really easy. And because you saw The Lion King and you heard the song, be prepared. Wait, that's not what he was saying about, was it? Um, No, I think he was going to take over the world or something. Yeah, yeah. be prepared for the chance of a lifetime. Uh So um, we know the homework. Mm -hmm. And I normally do, like, thanks everyone who's following us. I... Um, don't have my Twitter handy right now, so I want to save that for later. But we do want to say thank you, everyone, to follow for following us on Twitter. 100 is next week, and we would not be here without y'all. So thank you very much for your support. Mm-hmm. And um, if they wanted to show that support by joining the conversation and writing us a letter or sending us a, a carrier pigeon, where could they do that? I see where you went there. They could easily... Send us an email, podcast at makearsmarvel.com, or you could go to makearsmarvel.com, use the form if you don't want to remember the email, or you could join either Facebook or Twitter and send us messages that way, or just comment or share or retweet. Those are all easy ways to help promote us, and we really appreciate when you all do that. Um, there's also links to like, say, oh, I don't know, iTunes, where you could leave us a review, which we also appreciate because I think that like helps spread the word somehow it's um, been a long time since we had one of those yeah so someone cool. do one of those that'd be fun um but yeah it's all at makearsmarvel.com or just type makearsmarvel.com in any one of your favorite podcast apps and we'll show up and um you know keep coming at you every week all right and uh, my other podcasting endeavors are waiting for your listening ears uh you can find my transformer discussions with my son uh i cover cartoons with him i also cover the uh Marvel UK comic series that's at Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast on Twitter at TFUK podcast. I talk about every single comic book that Image Comics produced in the order in which they produced them over at All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast on Twitter at All the Pouches. I tweet about the life published life of the Scarlet Witch over on Twitter at Let's Talk Wanda. And I can be found myself about talking about mostly comics but sometimes other stuff on twitter at john reads comics so do we have anything else i think that's it we'll be here next time kids for episode 100 so until then or until baron strucker's blitzkrieg squad go up against captain america make ours marvel marvel.